You are listening to The Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders, hosted by Wayne Eckerson. Like, it shouldn't matter if I'm woman or not. It shouldn't matter what my age is. It shouldn't matter where I come from. It shouldn't matter what my pedigree is. Like, none of those things should matter. What should matter is how I work. And what should matter is the outcomes I'm able to drive. My name is Wayne Eckerson. My job is to help data and analytics leaders succeed. In these podcasts, I talk with experts who share the latest thinking and innovations in our space. I'm glad you've joined the conversation. Guys, this podcast is for you. Let's face it, we're pretty clueless when it comes to understanding women at home, and we're not much better at the office. And most of us don't even know what it means to be an ally of women at work but it's time we did. The number of women entering data professions is growing. Today, about a quarter of data professionals are women. Among data analysts, however, there are actually as many women as men, while the percentage of female data scientists has grown from 15% to almost 20% in the past four years. As men, we may harbor preconceived notions about women as individuals and data professionals, which may be wrong or unhelpful, both to them and us. We may not appreciate the unique contributions women can make to a project or initiative or respect the unique needs they bring to the workplace. And in the wake of the Me Too movement, we may not know how to interact with women as peers, manage them as direct reports, or work with them when they manage us. Today, we'll hear from a panel of highly accomplished women in the data field who can help set us straight. All three panelists currently hold executive positions at software vendors, yet all have worked in other sectors of our field as practitioners, consultants, or industry analysts. Each has tirelessly worked their way up the ranks and, in the process, gained a great deal of personal and professional experience about the opportunities and challenges of being a female in the data field. With us today is Prukapa Sankar, co-founder of the data governance startup Atlan, and a serial entrepreneur who has been recognized as a rising star by Forbes, Fortune, and CNBC. In 2013, she co-founded Social Cops, a data-for-good company that earned her accolades from the New York Times and the World Economic Forum and a speaking slot at a TED conference. Next, meet Cindy Housen, Chief Data Strategy Officer at ThoughtSpot and host of the Data Chief Podcast. In 2021, she was named Data Leader of the Year by Women in Data, and was a finalist for Motivator of the Year by Women Leaders in Data and AI. She was also a VP of Research at Gartner. Finally, meet Debika Sharma, who is Head of Global Strategic Partnerships and Alliances at Alteryx. She has held leadership positions at MAPR, Oracle, Ernst & Young, and Saks Fifth Avenue, and is currently Director of New York City Chapter for Women in Big Data, which helps women connect, engage, and grow in the data profession. Let's dive in. Uh, Cindy, I'm going to direct the first question to you. Why is it important to talk about women in data? Because we don't have enough women in data. We don't have enough diversity in our field, full stop. So if we don't fix this, we will have bias at scale, particularly with more pervasive use of AI. And Diverse, what we're really aiming for is diversity of thought. And if we don't get comfortable with our different ways of communicating, thinking, and working, 
we're never going to get to diversity of thought. I'm wondering what Pukapal or Dabika think. I would echo a lot of the same things that, that Cindy brought up. And, and I would, I would add to say that, you know, we want to have, we want to increase the participation of women in data for a lot of the same reasons that we want to increase um, the percentage of women in leadership roles from the perspective of that, you know, we bring new ways of handling risk. We bring new techniques to, to handling change. And these are critical to growing a business. And, you know, in, in teams that are not diverse, that don't handle risk a certain way or are very aggressive or, or very risk averse, you, you tend to steer a certain, to a certain type of outcome versus in those diverse teams where you have a more balanced representation from a gender perspective, from an experience perspective, right? The diversity of thought and experience that Cindy mentioned, I think, really opens up that team to become a high-performing team because of the way they handle new changes new risk models and, and and all sorts of challenges that they might be presented with. One thing that's unique about data, right? I think women across, I mean, it's important to have women across functions, like women in tech, women in leadership, right? But especially in data, the unique thing about data is that it's one of the only functions that actually sits at the intersection of technology and business. And so the reality of making a data project successful lies in the ability of being able to bring diverse people into the same room. Like you do need business, you need analysts, you need engineers, you need scientists, you need machine learning researchers, you need that diversity in a room. Without that diversity in a room, you will not be able to make a project successful. Uh, and the more diverse the thought, like I still remember one of my most successful projects, we had a program manager who actually came from a political science background. I don't think we could have run that project as successfully as we did without her because she was giving us these really unique insights about the way users on the ground would actually interact with the decisions or the dashboards we were looking to make, right? And so I think that diversity is very, it's, it's also very unique to the data ecosystem and a data data team. And I think they're being able to create all kinds of diversity, but also uh, diversity in, in having more women in the room makes a huge difference to the actual impact that you can drive in that project. So that's an interesting case study. Was her diversity because she was female or because she was a political scientist and had that background? Both, I think, at a certain extent. There are not many studies about women in data, but there's a lot of studies about women in leadership and things like that. And people do say that, you know, having women in the room brings a different perspective, especially on an emotional level. The way you think about the problem is a little different, right? And so, you know, it's hard for me to like point and say, you know, was she being in the room important because she was a woman or because she was, you know, a political science student, but she was absolutely a very diverse person in that room of what was... Uh, otherwise stereotypical, you know, male engineers in some right. ways, right? Uh, and honestly, we wouldn't have been successful without her in the room. So let me go back to you, Debika, because you mentioned uh, women have a different approach to risk and change than men. So enlighten me, what do you think is the main difference there? When I look back at different, different career situations, you know, I, I think more than once I've, I've seen maybe male-led teams kind of dive into situations, right? And those are, I, I think those are needed as well. But I think what's all, we also need to balance that with an ability to look around the corners and prepare for some of the things that could go, that could go wrong or could go sideways. And I think that's something that a lot of women actually have experience handling and, and addressing in a, in, a, in a really healthy way in business scenarios. Having that voice in the room, having that perspective and sharing that perspective in a, in a business scenario will, you know, essentially improves, improves the outcome 
in those types of things. And then from a change perspective, I think, you know, women have really different techniques in terms of being able to influence change and, and are more open to change. And I think sharing those possibilities as in, in changing business scenarios, uh, you know, provides people with new ways of looking at things and new, and new considerations. Yeah, and we know that change management is the key to everything we do in tech. So that's an important uh, viewpoint to have. We mentioned the risk and the differences between men and women in risk-taking. We are risk-takers, but we're going to think things through and we're going to do a little more scenario management um, oftentimes if we're making a sweeping generalization. But but I I think all of this, you know, we, we look at the differences and I think we try to think what is the best for an equitable world. This is where the hot jobs are. And some people care about that. But also look at the data from whichever survey you want to quote. If it's McKinsey, 21% more likely to have above average profitability. Or I like research from Boston Consulting Group, 38% more revenues from innovative products. So these are some of the things why we have to be willing to talk about these differences. Yeah, and these resonate with me because I know for myself, running my own company now, one of my liabilities is that, as Tabika said, I tend to jump into things too fast. And I did have a a female salesperson and she would always kind of step in and kind of say, Wayne, have have you thought about everything? I'm like, no, I really don't want to either, but <laughs> but it's important to have that third voice because uh, she was usually right, actually. I, I'm okay with jumping into things too. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need that. I just think we need to, we need to balance balance it with uh, what's around the corners. Yeah, it's all about balance, isn't it? Well, let me ask uh, the group: How have things changed for women in the past twenty years? Women in data. Well, you so you put a time horizon on this. You said 20 years. And I I actually ran a poll on LinkedIn to ask has it gotten better? And I put the time horizon as 7 years because I was thinking when did we do the first panels on these topics when people were still afraid to talk about these things? If I round up, then close to 80% said it's getting better, but 17% said it's the same, and 7% said it's worse. And I I do want us to flesh out the why is it worse, because I think we have to talk about the negative consequences of the Me Too movement. Mm. Educate us. <laughs> what are those negative well, consequences? Am I going to step on a landmine and we're only three minutes into this podcast? Well, no, I, I'd have to say the Me Too movement from, from a guy perspective has definitely chilled things. We, we're, we're confused. <laughs> we need you guys to educate us. Uh, the things thing. that we may have. Yeah. Tell me why well, chilled. It, Tell us why chilled. What do you mean? Are you more afraid to do uh, business with us? We uh, had a retreat, my own company, and our general manager, he said to me, well, we've never met some of these people, right? We're a virtual organization, too. So he said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be in the same room with a woman or, or, or hug anyone that's, a, that's female. So just simple interactions like that make 
people think twice, right? And they and no, there's no clear guidelines about what's right and what's wrong. So I think yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes me very sad because, um, as you know, I'm a hugger. <laughs> or maybe pre-COVID, I'm a hugger. You know, for for those that are that way, if if we're all doing fist bumps, that's okay. But there actually was a, a survey done around, this was the beginning of 2019, just doing a pulse survey and are are men willing to do activities, social activities, maybe a dinner, a lunch with women. And it's now 60% are not. Well, think about where some of the big decisions get made. Is it on the golf course? Is it at a sporting event? And if I have a male colleague and the CEO or the CDO is willing to have a dinner with that male colleague, but not me, what does that do to me as part, as part of the decision-making process? I think this is where it has set us back. Mm. But I want to know how the others feel. Any other thoughts? I mean, maybe I have a shorter time span to like to tell but I actually have like an overwhelmingly positive um you know aspect to share here right I was I was 21 I became an entrepreneur when I was 21 and so I was battling not just the fact that I was a woman but I was also battling the fact that I was 21 (laughs) trying to sell into the United Nations the way my thoughts have evolved on this is that 50% of the world might have all kinds of biases but 50% of the world doesn't And the way I think about this and and we tell our team at Acklin is like, you want to find a way to like surround yourself with the other 50%. And the other 50% shouldn't even, like it shouldn't matter if I'm woman or not. It shouldn't matter what my age is. It shouldn't matter where I come from. It shouldn't matter what my pedigree is. Like none of those things should matter. What should matter is how I work and what should matter is the outcomes I'm able to drive. And if you're able to create that culture, then, you know, things are automatically better. Like there was like our first woman engineer in the team. She said that I've been in places where there's been a higher percentage ratio of women to men. But this is the first time in a company I felt like an engineer. I'm Ritu the engineer. I'm not Ritu the female engineer. Right. And I think that matters. I don't think anyone wants you know, differentiation for being women. You don't want to be treated differently. Exactly like Cindy said, right? Like you don't want to be treated differently in any way. You just want to be treated the same, you know, in the good way and the bad. Like we don't we don't want to be treated in any different way. And I think personally, I believe that there is a good percentage of the world that is beginning to work really hard to make that future happen. And hopefully in the next 10 or 15 years, we will see all those stats from McKinsey and BCG come alive to say that, you know, if you don't build a company that way, that company is going to not exist, frankly. Uh, and it will it will make business sense to operate your company that way. Yeah. And I know, yeah. Prakalpa, because I was on your website last night, you have what you just said on your website as a core cultural value and you live it. So you are pioneering that state of mind. So. Kudos to you and your company for that. I love that. Yep. It is. <laughs> yeah. Let's it, it, <laughs> as a world we could all get there, you know, because then you think, I mean, look how much we undermine um, both both sides. That 
Our male colleagues are afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And then when a woman has an accomplishment, there's that inner monologue, or some people have actually said, oh, they got that job because they were a woman, because we're trying to improve right. diversity in that role or at that level. And it undermines all the true accomplishments. For example, we actually very consciously do not have a diversity quota. We're a very diverse company. We have 18 year olds pushing code to production. We have people in 12 countries, 40 cities. Obviously, we talked about female representation. Like we, we're a very diverse company, but it's very important to us that the people who are in the company know that they're in the company because they were the best people for the job, period. Uh, and nothing else mattered. And, you know, honestly, if you are, if you, if you interview really well and just make sure that you have a good top of funnel, you know, you will get there. You don't need to work. You don't need to like have diversity quota to meet. Like there are going to be enough great people who are diverse. You just need to make sure that they're interviewing with you. So your, your strategy there to get a diverse company was just to interview a larger swath of people. You didn't do anything like blind interviews or things like that? Nothing, okay. nothing. No blind interviews, no, no quota, no, we need to have minimum this percentage of people in the, comp- in the company who represent this diverse background, none of that. It was just make sure that, you know, top of funnel, you yeah. attract enough people who are diverse <laughs> into the ecosystem. Right. And you're looking for the best people in each case. Yep. You know, the, these ideas about uh, we're, you know, having quotas and the downside of those, I think were true with affirmative action policies. Any other thoughts on this, on how far, how things have changed in the last 20 or seven years for women? If you put the, the Me Too movement aside for, for just a second, the other, the other thing that I'd want to point out is that there are more resources available for women in the data space that were not 10 years ago. So it's easier to upskill yourself and to train and make yourself a solid candidate for lots of roles in technology and data and analytics. And I think there's also, uh, there's several more role models, right? So when you think about the number of women that are, you know, the head of technology, the head of analytics, chief data officers that are holding those roles today and, and driving new initiatives, there are so many more that, that are just setting, setting a, you know, an example for others to, to sort of see it in terms of what is what is possible. Yeah, I, on the how many more resources, Dabika, I, I think this is so true. And this is what gives me hope. Groups like Women in Data, Women in Big Data, right. Wilda, I, I just think so many groups. What I would like to know is, is, are any of you seeing a change with people just now entering the workforce, because I was slacking with somebody last night. She's four years into her data science career, and she said she continues to be the only woman in the room. And I thought, wow, I thought it was getting better. So is it not for the, are we not getting that mix or diversity with the people just now entering this field? Yeah, the stats I read said that, uh, Female data scientists in the last four years have gone from 16% to almost 20%. So one in five in the room. I don't know how many data scientists are on that team. But in terms of data analysts, it's equal, 50-50 men and women. So in that particular role, it seems to have gotten parity. But in the data scientist role, it's still a minority. Good to know. Thanks. 
Yeah, anecdotally, I would echo with that. Like we end up seeing better percentage or generally like higher percentage in, in roles like analysts where uh, versus, you know, data science, data engineer, data engineering, for example, is, you know, probably has woeful stats at this point. Uh, but I think the thing about this also is I don't know if you can necessarily fix it in a five year period, because if you think about where this stems from, it actually stems from high school. Right. It's about like what like do you choose to study science and math in high school? Like that's where it starts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like I remember I don't know what for, for you all, but like I remember when I was in high school up until like 10th grade, like it was women who were, or girls who were like topping everything. And then there was this like strange drop off from there to like I studied like engineering and like there's this like strange drop off from that where like every single like milestone in life like there were it seemed like there were like lesser women in in technical fields i'm not sure it's about intellect as much as it's about like social pressure exposure that's that early exposure i think and, and i agree with you Prakalpa. i think if you can reach uh youth in that in those high school years and and some in some communities happening even in, in elementary and middle school where Certain technologies, certain subjects are being introduced so early that, you know, children are just being, they're becoming familiar with topics like data analytics, data science, so that by the time they get to college, that whatever fear might have, you know, might might have been introduced at some point is not, is, is a non-event. We probably can't actually fix this problem because we need to fix it at the time when someone's making that decision between whether right. they want to study science and math or whether they want to study like humanities, for example. Yeah. yeah. Well, so yes, we can fix it. We damn well have to fix it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I get so sad when somebody says, oh, Cindy, it's too late for your generation. But so this is why I, I love these groups. <laughs> Girls Who Code, you know, this is um, targeted at high schools. And I've had somebody come up to me. They said, Mrs. Housen, I don't like to code. And I said, that's okay. Tell me what you do like. And I, I see her as a future architect. Um, so it's not always just about the coding or Girls Plus Data very specifically starts and targets the middle school because that's where they see this self-selecting of who is my tribe. And if my tribe is not considered cool for liking math or liking computer science, then they'll choose a different field. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about how men can benefit from women in data with the diversity of opinion. Uh, but what is the biggest misconception that men have about women in data that you've experienced? Well, no one wants to touch that one. <laughs> no, not with a 10 foot pole. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. We can move on. Uh, well, how about this one? What? <laughs> no, we, we should be brave here. Well, you tell us, Wayne. You tell yeah, us. You exactly. have a male voice. I don't know what I misconceptions mean, what? that men have. I mean, if I did, I would. I would. It wouldn't be a misconception, right? So. Yeah. Or why? Why are men afraid to be in the room with us now? I I think that's a problem. I don't think that's universal because it didn't apply to me. I, yes. I wasn't afraid to do those things myself, but some people are. I, I guess that question does touch a, a, a landmine and, and, and brings out native prejudices that men may have growing up uh, in a 
patriarchal family or society that they may look down on women's abilities to do uh, data. It's like, well, this is not a woman's place. They may not have the talent or, you know, all those kinds of silly things, right? I, I don't yeah. know if that's true. If you, mm-hmm. if any of you've ever encountered that, I, I certainly haven't seen it in, in my experience in the tech field, but I think there's a very open industry. I think that men that just take maybe some initial time to just get to know the the person as a person and not so much as a woman and just understand how their background can contribute, you know, to the outcomes, right? And to the task at hand. I've been fortunate. I've had great women and male mentors throughout my career. But if there is a misconception, maybe it's just a misconception of that has resulted from not taking the time to find out, you know, what this person brings to the table. Yeah. Yeah. And EQ. I I think both sides need more EQ for the other's perspective. And I think this is where just because we're different in how we approach something doesn't mean that we are not aligned to the same goal. And I think this is where some of the stereotypes or unconscious biases come into play. You know, you might call me emotional, whereas a male colleague might be passionate. But guess what? We are just so both focused on delivering the product or delivering the customer value. And we just have a different way of reflecting it. Yeah. I'd say probably the biggest misconception will be if the if the if the person is looking at a colleague and looking at it from the lens of are they a women in data? It shouldn't matter, right, if they're a woman in data or not. Like they're a data practitioner in data. Um, and we're all different. Like some people are emotional and some people are not. And some people are like, you know, passionate and some people are not. And some people are or you know, some people, you know, are very detail oriented and some people are you know high level big picture and it shouldn't matter uh, and so if i think if you should look at the person for the person yeah. and it shouldn't matter if they are a woman or not so if the lens if this is even a question in someone's head i think that itself is is probably the biggest misconception in some way right. Right? And, and that's what something i think that diversity quotas don't quite capture right so we should be hiring for the the requirements for the role that are going to benefit the team and the company and not just to, to meet a number. That's another challenge that companies are going to have to, to also balance while we meet diversity requirements. Just hiring a diversity officer is not going to cut it. You know, just having, you know, a certain number of people on the board is not going to cut it. It's, it's more the attitude, like, you know, we got to treat people the same, as Prokopo was saying. Or celebrate the differences because we're not the same. Celebrate the differences. I look at diversity quotas as a lagging indicator. <laughs> the the leading indicators are the top of the funnel, as everyone has said here. Um, but the top of the funnel, if you're only recruiting from within your network, who you know, that's not going to be diverse. Right. If you're not checking for unconscious biases, then that's not going to be diverse. If you get the people there and you do not have an inclusive culture, they're not going to stay. What can organizations, what can managers do to create a culture that nurtures women once they're hired and make sure that they find a place that resonates with them and they they feel comfortable and they can advance? Is there any secret there? I think... There are two elements to it. One is when once someone's in the company, they should not feel different. They they can be different, but they should not feel different. 
and if you um, if you truly create a culture that embraces that and it does take a lot of work because right because cultural like in all these ways right culturally you're different there's so many different elements to diversity and so some of it actually requires consciously training people or even like the way i think about it like a lot of biases because of misconceptions it's not because people you know if you believe in the true intent of people right like if you believe that like you know hopefully for example i believe that we're hiring people who whose intent it is uh, uh you know to be good right like their intent is not to make anybody feel out of place or make anyone feel you know make a woman feel like she's a woman at work right then it comes down to like are they can you actually create enough i guess just an environment where they can learn about the differences in the first place right um and so i think that's one and so for example one one of the things we do is like for example we have like an internal club pride which actually goes in and talks about uh, and like in like they actually share like what does it mean to be a mem- member of the lgbtq community uh, what does this like how can you be in the language that you use how can you be more inclusive and things like that and it was it was actually just a personal initiative that people in the team picked up and started driving right so create a space where uh, you know the team can start driving these kinds of initiatives that just actually remove a lot of the misconceptions that most of us grew up with or have i think second as you think about growth one of the things i have seen is that women do tend to like second guess themselves it is real like, i think in fact like i think now google actually has a study on it like they like i think when when i think in google they make you like actually sign up for a promotion like you need to like nominate yourself and they found that uh women were much less likely to nominate themselves than male colleagues and, and this is something like in my experience also i've seen like women tend to second guess themselves and so for example in google's case they, i think they now actually have a nudge system where they particularly nudge women to say hey you know what like nominate yourself right uh but something that you know as you coach leaders inside the org just coaching themselves to like say that like you know there there are going to be things that women will naturally do because of who they are uh and so then how do you create an environment where you as their leader can actually like make sure that because they're not going to be the first person who puts their hands up and say hey you know what like i want this promotion or i want like you know i want to pick up this new initiative uh you know how can you still make sure that they're not going to lose out uh you know to their male colleagues so just i think again it comes down to a lot of i think just like culturally uh you know training uh and removing many of these biases i think the second guessing is also a reflection of the you know women's sort of natural tendency right to think about again look at look at risk through a, you know through a different lens right but if we can sort of harness that and encourage encourage the right risk taking then then you make a move in the in the right direction um i but i also wanted to comment on on your question around you know how do you keep you've recruited women now how do you keep them um if you look at like some of the things some of the techniques that companies are doing to to reduce attrition it's really about you know one on one having the tools in place to identify who's at flight risk and then developing engagement strategies right to to really figure out why these these high performing employees are 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 at risk of of attrition and um i think on the same token you know you, we can borrow from that and apply them to some of the women that we've successfully recruited and take the time you have to hold the managers accountable to take the time to figure out what it is that that's really driving them and motivating them right i think i have a woman on the team that wants more global experience i have another woman on the team that you know wants more management responsibility so i mean there's going to be different drivers depending on where they are in their careers and and their individual their individual aspirations. So I think part of it is also going to be having having their managers 
take the time to to find out what you know what motivates these individuals. Yeah, running my own company, I think I spend more time on culture and, and nurturing that. Yeah. The kind of things that I would like our company to, to be, how I'd like individuals to interact with each other. It's yeah. an awful lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, yep. it it should become a, it should be a habit. <laughs> it should be automatic that the culture is inclusive and that women we that we don't need these Google nudges, but some of it is in our DNA. So, I think it's all these levers, whether it's a pride community or we have a thought spot women's group or for the Latinx, we have an Adelante um, community. All of this is about creating a more incl- inclusive culture, but also the tools. So teaching women communication, public speaking skills, negotiation skills for salaries, because we also don't ask. Um, and then also having mentorship programs, I think, are important as well. I think, you know, as Ma- Madeline Albright um, just passed away, I think of a quote that she had that there's a special place in hell for women who do not support other women. And if we think about how women are less adept at the self-promotion, this is where I think recognizing women's accomplishments, helping them find their voice to articulate their accomplishment or their team's accomplishment. The one thing that I am a stickler for is when I hear somebody celebrate a team's accomplishment, and if there's um, two men on the team and one woman, and only the two men are recognized, and I think this is, again, an unconscious bias because we remember most who looks like us or maybe who we just had lunch with, and that might not have been the woman, then I am very quick to offline call out, did you mean to omit that woman? And if you did not intend that, please correct it because that woman will be now second guessing herself. So I think there's a number of specific tactics that we need to just, it has to be a drumbeat. Speaking of Madeline Albright, that's interesting. Um, She was a role model for for many women. Uh, And I was gonna ask all of you, who are your role models? Who's made a difference and and given you the confidence that you need to to accomplish everything that you've done so far in your lives? I have a hodgepodge of role models. And when I had to write about this for International Women's Day, I was not allowed to write about family members because, of course, we often think of them first. So I'll say public role models, Condoleezza Rice, you know, being a woman and then being a African-American woman or a Black woman is probably harder still. And her parents were professors. So she at least had a good environment to succeed. If I think in my family, my dad raised me as a single dad. So he, he taught me the power of a firm handshake and eye contact, but he also taught me to be a workaholic. So I've had to unlearn some of the bad behaviors. And I, I think of my aunt who will be 90 this July. And she told me that her father, so my grandfather said, the only reason to go for a woman to go to college is to get an MRS degree. 
All right. Just think about that. An MRS degree to find a husband. And so she put herself through college. She was an entrepreneur and she still rides bicycles, belly dances on a beach, and she just embraces life. So those are my role models. <laughs> the Mrs. Degree. I have actually never heard of that before. Uh, oh, that's yeah. A good one. It was 1950s, 19, late 1940s. Yeah. That was the thinking then. Yeah. And that still yeah. shapes, you know, many people's up- upbringing. I've had several role models. And when I think about them, I think about how different they are because of the different types of challenges they've each had to address. But I'll mention just, just a few here. You know, our chief revenue officer at Altrix, Paula Hansen, I think is just a spectacular role model. She's not trying to act like a strong male in technology. She is herself. She's authentic, um, but she has such a firm grasp of the underlying details, metrics, the business, the, the opportunities, the threats. And I think, you know, she's a role model because she's herself. She's, I think, shown so many women and, and, and really everybody that, you know, you don't have to fit a mold. I think, you know, you really just need to be your authentic self, present, you know, present even challenging ideas or things that, that might not be easy to, to, to accommodate or, 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 or align with um, in ways that are just, you know, are just really transforming the way we operate as an organization. So I feel like she's been a really strong role model. Uh, the other the other sort of group that I would call out is um, an organization that I'm very closely aligned with, Women in Big Data. And when I look at the women that have founded that organization, really going back to 2015, I mean, they are so purpose-driven. You know, there is limited funding. No one's, no one's you know, pushing them to meet their goals to drive community growth or the events and resources that they're pulling together. But they are so passionate, so devoted, so committed. And they're just, they really lift people up. They lift women up. And so I, I would want to give a, you know, really a shout out to the, the founding members of, of Women in Big Data. For me, because you haven't said you can't say family members, so I'm going to go ahead and do that anyway. Um, so <laughs> in this particular case, for me, it's my mom. Um, my mom, my mom, when she was 21, she actually, um, she invented a device. She got it patented. She actually got funding for it, which if you think about, back in like the 1980s was actually a pretty big deal. Her dad, however, told her that if you know if she wanted to, to do that, you know, she could walk out of the house and, and not come back. Um, it was a lot of risk. Uh, and they had three girls, they needed to get married, like there was all of that, right? Uh, and uh, so for me, I saw my mom, despite that, through her life, constantly working. Like she was, when I was in high school, she was part of the founding team of this education company. Uh, and she would, she worked her way up. She, you know, she was, she's still the most hardworking person I know. She was doing sometimes like 14, 15 hour days. And, you know, she was just so passionate and energetic and she was managing it with everything else. And so if you think about it for me, like life is so much easier today. Like I have the support systems uh, that my mom didn't have. And, and, you know, my mom had support systems, believe it or not, that her mom didn't have, right? And so if you think about the world in general, like, I feel like we've made, you know, if you think about it in like a hundred year period, we've made so much progress. Uh, and so for me, when I go into work every morning, you know, I sometimes wake up, I'm just thankful, right? And and I want to do the best. And hopefully everyone in this room will be 
role models for the next generation and it will be easier for the next generation right and maybe like you know a few generations out there is no concept of a women in data panel because you know it's just right. the same and so i think that to me like you know it was so much harder before and we still have so many women who've actually had much harder times to get to where they are um and i think that drives me every day to to at least go and do the best that that we can do well that's terrific uh thanks to all of you for your inspirational thoughts and and insights on this uh this issue and it does seem like we have made a lot of progress but there's still more to go so thank you thanks for listening if you like the podcast please subscribe if you want more insights on data or analytics visit our website at www.eckerson.com <laughs>